Hey there, everyone. This is Jimmy Russells, and this is part two of our interview with Russ from Retro Game Core. You can listen to part one on pretty much any major podcasting platform. I've also provided links. Uh, there will actually be three parts because this actually went over quite a bit. And after these three parts, then we'll get into the interview with uh, Slamander from well-known... Well, he's well known for the Retro Arena and Slash TV, among others. And we had a very long conversation, as well as, well as him answering your questions. So uh, be prepared for that series to come up pretty soon. Um, and then afterwards, uh, tell me if there's anyone else that you'd like me to go try to get a hold of an interview. Uh, I pre we appreciate your continued listening and hope that you enjoy this episode. All right, we think we we think he's back now. So, hello, can you hear me now? Yes, way better. Oh, thank goodness! I'm sorry, everyone. This is life in Hawaii. <laughs> we got beautiful beaches and terrible internet. Uh, that doesn't shock me. It's like, uh, doesn't Hawaii have an interstate as well? Yeah, we have two. <laughs> oh, three actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just. Yeah, we got it's some funny of, things here. It's kind of funny if you think about it, because, you know, if you're supposed to connect to other states, how do you do that? Yeah, someday. <laughs> someday. Someday we'll act, they'll build a highway all over, across the ocean where you can just drive directly to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> um, but today isn't that day. No. I'm uh, glad I'm back, though. So. All right, so... Let's go ahead and let's get back to some. Uh, we'll re-ask the question because you were having some issues. Yeah. So going back to that. So uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just gonna jump right into it. So we were talking about you know the moment that inspired me to start the website, and so I was talking about Simple Menu and just kind of that experience. You know, I'm I'm not an IT professional in any way. Like I, that's not. So I'm not an IT specialist in any way, but the the way that it like set up simple menu and got it all working and everything else like that made me feel like IT savvy for the first time really. And so that's one of the things that really inspired me. I was like, Hey, maybe I can do something like this where I can just have a little bit more knowledge than the average person, but just enough to get the average person to get to where I am, you know? And so that, that was kind of that moment where it, it all started to click for me. Yep. And, and look where you are now. You're uh, probably soon going to probably get make money, may actually be able to make ad revenue from YouTube, I bet. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a little bit trickling in right now, just enough to really kind of offset the, the habit that I have right now in terms of like all these systems that I keep buying and stuff like that. So I'm at a point where it's a zero sum game, which is really awesome. I'm not having to, uh, you know, drain my savings in order to keep this going, which is a great place to be. That's good. That is excellent, though, because at least at least now, at least it's like a, uh, you know, it's an even cost. So you're not, you know, spending a whole bunch, of, you know, you're not draining your bank account doing what you love. So, right. right. I think I consider that a win. Yeah, totally. All right. So we'll move on to the next question. So uh, Jay Panda asks, of all the devices you own, what's the device that's the hardest to work on? Uh yeah, good question. Um, Retroid Pocket 2, like easy. That one is <laughs> such a pain mm. to work on because it's an Android device that's a little bit underpowered that also doesn't have a touchscreen. 
Agreed. And those things combined, it's just, it's a pain to deal with, you know. Once you do get it set up, and you'll see people, you know, I'm sure there's somebody probably thinking this right now. It's like, well, no, well, I got mine working, and now it's great. And that's cool, you know, like, I'm glad you did that. But the the fact that you have to do all those things in order to just get it to be workable uh, says a lot about the console itself. And I love it, you know, I, I think that it's really cool that they created this device, and it got really popular. I love all those things that happened with it. Um, but when it comes down to it, uh, I'd rather use, you know, something else that's a little bit easier to configure. I think we lost you there again. Oh, my goodness. Up there. You're, you're good now. Yeah, you're good now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, Retroid Pocket 2, I love the, what it did for the community. But at the same time, the user experience is not the same as it is on something like uh, Emulation Station. Agreed. It's not as user friendly. And I think it really is because it would be better if it had a touch screen. Yeah. Like that would solve 90% of the problems I have with the device. If it had a touch screen just for navigation. But yeah. since it yeah. doesn't, you know, there you go. That's why I don't use it that much. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, I still haven't really configured it properly, and it's just because there's such a big barrier there. Yeah, I actually got Quake 3 Arena running on it, so I can oh, play Quake. Nice. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm not going to play Quake on a on a handheld because Quake is a game where you want a mouse and keyboard. It's a uh, it's a Twitch, uh, Twitch shooter, so... Um, yeah, that's you true. Know, you step out, like, three seconds, and then, boom, you get hit with a railgun. <laughs> so uh that's the problem i have with that um all right so let's go on to some more questions ev um ev prkr asks uh do you think the current do you think the current devices that all use the same chipset can actually have more potential than just some dreamcast and some n64 what do you think is holding the manufacturers of these devices back from using more powerful hardware to push us past the stagnation we've been in in such a long time? Yeah, the uh, I love answering this question. So um, I think when it comes down to it is we have a lot of companies that are um, really kind of co-embedded with one another. You know, they, they seem to be a little bit uh, incestuous in the fact that they just kind of borrow each other's findings, you know, and they're just making these little baby steps when it comes to improvements and performance and whatnot. And I think there's two things at play there. Number one is that, um, you know, there's a lot of leftover hardware that is very cheap in China. And so I think that that's a big draw for them is the ability to make these devices very cheaply. Uh, and so they know that if they can make it play up to PS1, then, you know, it'll be fine and they'll be able to sell quite a, quite a lot of them, right? But uh, the other side of the coin, too, is I think that some of these companies don't have the capital to be able to make the big investment needed to make a very powerful device. And so we're seeing a couple of these coming out this year, like the Odin device, which used to be called the 199 device. And I think the Ambernick 552, you know, it's probably going to push things a little bit further as well. So there's a couple of those devices that are coming out later this year. But I think that they had to gain that capital by making all these cheaper products first. And so now I'm hoping, and I don't know, I don't have any insight. I don't actually talk to any of these companies at all. Um, but I'm hoping that now they have the funding to be able to say, all right, let's, uh, let's actually push it forward a little bit. Let's make something that can play 
Nintendo 64 full speed and Dreamcast full speed and maybe a little bit of GameCube. And so I think it's coming, um, but I think it's just going to be slower than what we're hoping for. And a lot of that has to do with those factors involved. And I'm sure COVID screwed up a bunch of things as well. The whole chip shortage things happening worldwide is probably playing a factor in that too. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, chip shortage, uh, shortage of, you know, people who still want to, you know, work. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 a bunch you know a bunch of that. Yeah, COVID screwed up a lot of stuff. I think, I think we might have seen some of those more powerful handhelds quicker if we didn't have COVID. That's my opinion. Yeah, but and I think yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, but I also think that the reason why we're getting more powerful handhelds now actually also could be due to COVID because people really didn't have much that they could do. So I don't know, buy buy a handheld. And we saw yeah. we saw a boom in the handhelds and uh, you know people interested in them uh, dur- last year, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that happened during the outbreak of the COVID is that Nintendo Switches sold out worldwide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People were just stuck at home and they're like, "Man, I really could got time to play video games now. I want to buy a Switch." And so I think we're kind of that runoff from that. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that this is going to continue to gain momentum even as we're coming out of the whole pandemic kind of environment. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I really do hope that we're going to get some more powerful stuff. And the thing I was going to mention earlier is that, uh, you know, we're we're a small subset of the target market, right? The enthusiast community and stuff like that are really, we're just a small portion of everything. Well, really, the the way that you break out and the way that you really sell units is by appealing to the everyman. And I think the Nintendo Wii back in the day is a perfect example, right? Wii Sports came bundled with the original Wii, and that sold like hotcakes because everyone wanted to play bowling and boxing and tennis and all the other things that were available on it. And so I think that in that sense, um, that's that their target market. And there's still so many people who just want to play Super Nintendo and PlayStation 1 games. You know what I mean? Um, and so for that, I think that there's still a good, compelling reason to, to have some of these lower powered devices because they still haven't broken into the uh, potential that they could have if it goes really mainstream. And I agree. Um you know, that's where you saw a lot of ca- casual gamers. You know, the Wii was great because, um, for the casual gamers, because it was also, the controller was shaped like a remote control. That's very identifiable to many people, especially non-gamers. So, yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with that. Um, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. Uh, and this is from Cars. Who asks, whenever you get a new handheld, what is your go-to game you boot up first? Yeah, so um, this is a super boring answer, but uh, Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo every time. Because I just, I know the feel of how it's supposed to feel. And I do the same with Mario 3 as well on the NES. I just test those first, you know, to see if I feel any sort of input lag, screen tearing, you know, any of those things. Like, that's just my first one out of the gate. And then for every system I have, like a specific game, I always try to, to show off. And I try my best to not show those on every single video because I know it's going to get boring to watch. But at the same time, you have to build a standard, you know. And so that's why I play Virtual Tennis 2 or they call it Tennis 2K1 in the US. Like I play that game on the Dreamcast every time because I know the feel of like how fast the ball is supposed to move and things like that. And so it's not that I just love that game. It's just that's one of the things I test on. 
Hey, it's a great game. Super Mario World is a great game. Uh, yeah, I didn't really own beautiful. Dreamcast, so I can't talk about that. Talk about the other <laughs> Dreamcast game, but Super Mario World, yeah, yeah, it's a great game. Uh, and it, and I agree, it's a great one to test with. Uh, for me, for me, it's Sonic Three with Knuckles. That is my go-to mm-hmm. game. That's one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, Super Mario World is the second. Mm-hmm. But uh, I could play Sonic 3 and Knuckles. In fact, I played that today while I was waiting for my car to go and get, uh, you know, service. I I brought up my RG351P and popped in, uh, started playing some Sonic Sonic 3 and Knuckles. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, because... that's one I never owned. But uh, yeah, that's the the Sonic 2 was that like that for me on the Genesis. Same thing. Uh, I actually owned yeah Sonic 2. I remember I remember the code it was like 1994. Oh, oh, one, um, oh, one. What was the other one? Oh, one, nineteen. Was that it? Are you talking about like the sound codes or whatever? Yeah, yeah, the sound codes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it. It's been I years. Can't remember, man. <laughs> it's been so many years. I brain that brain dumped that 25 years ago. I think. Hey, anyone, uh, post an AMA reactions if you guys remember the code. Um, but you know, with uh, Sonic Three though. Um, Sonic 3 and Sonic 3 with Knuckles specifically, I know, for example, in Angel Island, uh, you know, how to get to all of the, uh, at least the first four uh, rings, you know, the golden, the rings to get the emeralds, and I could do them yep. pretty much uh, blindfold at this point. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. If, in fact, have you ever used retro achievements? Uh, yeah, I use them all the time. Like that's yeah. one of the things I try to set up on any device that has a support for it. I do. I set that up, and then I always tell myself, "Yeah, I'm going to play it through, and I'm going to get all these achievements." And then I just end up testing something new instead. So I don't really have a lot of good achievements to show off, but I really do appreciate that service. It is a great. It is a great service. Um, but and and, and I'm part of that too. And in fact, what I've been trying to do here is have a leaderboard of the month challenge where you can compete against other people to try to get on a leaderboard. You know, it's not, you know, one of them is like uh, to speed run Super Mario Brothers uh, World 1, uh, 1, 1, you know, the first level of yeah. the NES game as fast as possible. Uh, where, you know, and I'm not saying you take it seriously like some speedrunners, you know, you got. Mm-hmm. And speedrunners, they really take that seriously. Like, look at the whole dream debacle. Oh yeah. You know, yep. I think I think his I think his, any of his reputation is ruined now. So you might as well just uh, you might as well just hang it up. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, some of that some of them they take it really seriously. Um, I'm not taking it super seriously, but it's, I think it's fun. Uh, I love the retro achievements because they really just get you playing the games and. Getting, you know, uh, getting achievements says in my little, uh, in my little, you know, primate brain, ooh, ooh, shiny pop-up is good. <laughs> yep. But some of them are clever, though. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, for anyone who doesn't know what a retro, achie- you know, retro achievements are, it's retroachievements.org. You can sign up. It's free. If you got a, if you got internet access on your device of choice and it's running RetroArch, then you could go and start earning retro achievements for pretty much most of the systems out there. Um, and one of the achievements is that's really interesting. I have not gotten it yet. I kind of want to get it though, is you have to collect all the blue spheres in the first, um, for the first chaos Emerald in Sonic three and Sonic three and knuckles running backwards. 
and oh do the gosh. whole thing backwards. So <laughs> you run forward, hit the bell, and then you just collect all the blue spheres uh, running backwards. Uh-huh. Uh, and like the icon has like Sonic doing the moonwalk, you nice. know, which is yeah. uh, a, a nod to the fact that Michael Jackson worked on Sonic 3's music a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's just one of the fun things about that, though. And I think that's one of the best things that the that's come out of the emulation community. That's not, you know, hey, this game runs better. Yeah. So, um, uh, let me, I have to get off my uh, soapbox there and move <laughs> on to a little bit, move on to another question. I don't want to keep you up too long. Uh, so. It's only four o'clock here. So whatever, however long you want to do this, I'm willing to hang out. So. All right. Well, then I guess we'll have to go and see you, you know, see you when it's like nine o'clock your time then. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to go ahead and move. Uh, so next question uh comes from simon ghost riley uh he asks what do you think of the of the yami black shark 4 so yeah so i i looked that one up that was one of the ones where i you know i browsed through the questions i saw that one i was like oh i'm so glad i saw that because i wouldn't have been able to answer it so i did look that one up and it's you know it's a xiaomi phone um it's it runs a snapdragon 870 uh and i don't know a ton about you know, SOCs and stuff, especially Snapdragon and whatnot, uh, because I am a primarily an iPhone user. Don't don't hate me for it, but I've been doing it forever. And so uh, I'm just learning about a lot of this stuff. But, you know, I do I do hear a lot about the 870. And a lot of people are asking about trying to get a handheld that has an 870 in it is probably a really good compromise in terms of performance and price, at least right now. And so, um, yeah, I think it's around a $500 phone right now for that one. And yeah, that's a, that's a, probably a pretty solid, you know, if you don't want to do the whole thousand dollar flagship phone thing, as far as I can tell, that's probably your best bet is to look for a Snapdragon 870 or so if you want to primarily use it for gaming as well as like all your phone related functions. Uh, and I agree, uh, you know, it is the latest and greatest, but even some of these slightly older ones, I have a Razer phone to myself. And you could definitely game with that. Um, in fact, the Razer Phone 2, I think, has like 90 hertz, uh, you know, you can 90 hertz refresh rate if you wanted. Um, wow. You know, it's kind of stuck, though, on Android 9. So there's your trade off. They're not going to go and upgrade <laughs> that further. Um, yeah. But, you know, Razer. Um, they kind of killed the Ouya Oya, and they kind of killed the uh, the their own Android TV device, uh, which is the Razer uh, Forge. Yep. yep. I hated that. Well, I think it was kind of dead on arrival, to be honest, because it didn't have Netflix. Uh, that was due to, like, some sort... I, I think it was due to the chipset or what... I don't know. I don't believe them, honestly. They could have yeah. worked with Netflix, but... And they sure. didn't. Um, but the 840 is a great... is still even a great processor. It would still run most of your emulated... Uh, even the higher-end GameCube stuff. Mm. So, I would think that the 870 processor on that uh, on that Black Shark, I would think that that could go probably play GameCube, maybe even Wii. Yeah, I think so. And PS2, maybe. Um, but I know that's also not your area. May, yeah, I'm just really area. learning about it, but it is a really fun, it is a fun thing to do, you know, just to be able to be like... You know, because I, I did buy a couple Android phones and tested them out, and it is it is kind of a wonder to be able to play a GameCube game on such a small device like that. It is still a really cool experience for me. Well, what what phones did you have? What phones do you have? 
Android uh, so, phones or tablets? Yeah, so right now, uh, the primary one that I've been testing with is actually the Google Pixel 3, um, which, again, is not really high spec, you know, but it sells for I got it for 115 bucks about a month ago. And, you know, you throw a telescopic controller on it and it's, and, you know, has a nice display. It's a little bit smaller of a phone, which is what I was looking for, because I don't really like those huge, long phones. Um, and so I've been playing with that a lot. I did go even cheaper. I got an LG V, what is it called? The V20, I think. And that one's okay as well. But, um, yeah, I really like this Pixel 3. And that's, I, I plan on doing a video soon where I'm like, hey, you could make a sub $200 gaming device using a Pixel 3, basically. GameCube's not so great on it. You can really only play like one or two titles, but uh, everything else, you know, Dreamcast, PSP, things like that run really well. Yeah, and that, and I think that's what a lot of people are honestly looking for. That's what they're looking for out of the handhelds. And I think that if the 199 comes out and it, you know, can, can uh, match that promise, which uh, based on the specs, it looks like you'd be able to easily do that, then... Uh, well, they'll get the you know they'll get a handout that could probably play GameCube. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. Oh, it would be, yeah. Uh, you know, you can play you can play Super Mario Sunshine on something else other than a Switch. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we'll move on to the next question here, and we have uh, if you were to choose, if you were, if you would have to choose, would you use a phone or a handset? handheld console for retro gaming that comes from the silver shroud yeah this is a perfect question for what we've just been talking about so um yeah you know i i just literally just like maybe five days ago i released a video about uh specifically about retro gaming or emulation on an iphone and there's a lot of workarounds to get it to work but it is possible and um i'll tell you that it is pretty cool, you know, to be able to do retro gaming in particular, right? You can run RetroWalker on there and everything else. Um, but the thing is, you know, prior to the pandemic and whatnot, when it comes to work, I'm usually away from the home, maybe 50% of the time. So I'm, I'm a big traveler, usually work-related, you know. And so I there are a lot of times where I do want to play things on the go. And I don't think the phone is my go-to thing for that even when traveling, because I worry about draining my battery life on my phone. So I basically have an option at that point. I can bring a telescopic controller, hook it up to my phone, and then play games on that, but then also have to bring a battery pack because I don't want to like run out of battery, right? Uh, or I can just bring a dedicated retro handheld device instead along with my phone. And then I don't have to worry about my phone battery at all. And so... Granted, I haven't done any traveling since the start of the pandemic, but just me picturing myself and knowing how I travel and everything else like that when I'm away from the home, I would prefer just to grab a dedicated handheld device. So something like, you know, one of the Ambernick devices or even a PS Vita, I think, is much better suited for me when it comes to travel in particular, which is the main use case that I kind of think about when I think about these uh, on-the-go retro gaming consoles. Yeah, and... And that's and I kind of have the same thought though, and that's you know because I'm gaming my uh, you know emulators and stuff like that. You know, just today I mentioned that I was waiting for my yeah. car to my car to go and get uh, serviced, and I pulled out my RG351P. I actually also brought the Game Force as well, just uh, just uh, as a backup one, but the 351P, and mm -hmm. I was playing some Sonic 3 uh, and some other games on there too as well, and. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. 
You know, it's better because phone batteries, you know, are not really replaceable anymore either. And yeah. they die due to, you know, more, more hardware demands. Uh, and yes, we get the fast chargers now, but uh, one of the downsides of the fast chargers is that they technically actually kill the battery life faster. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, you know, the, when you're shoving more, you know, when you're, making them charge super fast on there. Yeah. You're going to wear out the battery quicker. So, um, I, the next, uh, we got a couple of questions from little forest, but we're going to kind of break them up. Um, okay. you know, so we'll break them up into, you know, into different chunks here. Um, so we, so to start, he's at, uh, little forest asks, are you familiar with other creators in your space, such as Taki Udon or ETA prime? Have you seen their work and what do you think of them? Have you shared or collaborated before on opinions, products, or reviews with them? Yeah, good question. Um, so ETA Prime, I I definitely was watching his stuff back in the day, you know, like just when I was building PCs and things like that, you know, he has a series of videos where he will take a Dell Optiplex or whatever and he will turn it into a gaming machine and stuff like that. And so uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, or actually a little bit before the pandemic, my son needed a school computer like to do homework and stuff on. And so I was watching ETA Prime videos to kind of get an idea of how things work with that. Uh, I hadn't built a computer since the 90s, and so I really had a lot to learn. Um, and so he was really helpful with that. Uh, I haven't had any other brushes with him other than um, when the Pocket Go S30 came out, which is like the device that is shaped like a Super Nintendo controller. Um, I worked with uh, BitBoy to to come up with like an improvement to their firmware, and it, I wasn't really doing anything other than reskinning. And um, but they ended up telling other influencers, "Hey, use this skinning instead of the one that we shipped it with." And so ETA Prime did, and like mentioned it on his video, and even like mentioned me and stuff. And that was super cool because I'm like, "Holy crap! I can't believe I just got mentioned by ETA Prime." Um, so that was really cool, you know, to hear that. Uh, and then for Taki Udon, so I definitely watched a few of his videos when I was trying to make a, a buying decision when it came to like RG350 and the Retroid Pocket 2 and stuff. And I still do try to keep up with his videos. I do appreciate um, kind of the pace at which he uh, talks when he does videos and stuff. We're kind of similar in, in just kind of the way we talk and stuff. Um, and so I do appreciate some of the quality he puts in his videos and everything else like that. I did reach out to him when the 199 was first announced and I said, hey, can I uh, help get involved with this, like in terms of testing and, you know, doing all sorts of other things. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't respond. But uh, yeah, I'd love to work with those guys, you know, in the future and stuff. I think that at the end of the day, you know, we talk about the retro gaming community and stuff. And for me, I'm a very community minded person. You know, I'm from a big family. I love just having lots of people involved in projects and stuff. And so I'd love to work with anyone really and just kind of coming up with uh, cool ideas for videos or just collaborations or whatever. All that stuff's super cool to me. Yeah, because, I mean, we are, a small, you know, it's a small but rapidly growing community. So I, I agree, yeah. Um, and and again, you've, you've built out your own niche, uh, your own slice of, uh, you know, being a YouTuber um, authority now um, just with what you did, you know, with uh, your guides and then your YouTube channels. So... You know, uh, you're you're now I think in that same ech echelon. 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to uh, in, when I was searching for specific guides and tutorials, you know, the the reviewer space is very big. People will be like, hey, let me review this device or whatever. And I appreciate that because it does help me make buying decisions. But the the place that I really like to be in is like, let me help you get the most out of the thing you already paid for, you know. And to me, that's that's an untapped market. Uh, and I think that that's something that people often overlook. You know, they're searching for the next big thing. But what if we could make cool things happen with a thing that's already at your house, you know? And so doing things like porting over Super Mario 64 or Shovel Knight or things like that to me are super exciting. And those are the things I, I get really excited about when it comes to sharing on, on YouTube and stuff is new firmwares, new ports, things like that are really cool to me. Oh, I, and you know what? Actually, I watched your video for the 351 for using uh, ArcOS just to go and get the Sonic 1, 2, and CD ports. Get those yeah. working on it. See, there we go. Yeah. Uh, a little disappointed, though, with uh, Sonic 1, 2, and 3 with the special stages, which have some uh, noticeable slowdowns, especially on Sonic CD. Uh, although, yeah. on the other hand, it makes it easier. <laughs> Never been a big fan of the Sonic CD special stage. Yeah, me neither. That one's so uh, weird. Yeah. Um, and Christian Whitehead though did a did one heck of a job with all of those ports. Still want that Sonic Three and Knuckles port. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, we're gonna go and we'll come back to Little Force for his other questions, um, here and there. Uh, and next person here we have is uh, is uh, SPM Fox, who asks uh. Looking for your general opinion on Pi-based emulation devices versus Android. Seems like Android is easier to use for non-technical people, but also it's but it also seems like more companies are trying to make uh, using Pi-based devices easier and easier. As a longtime Pi fan and avid li Linux user, I gravitate to anything ra Raspberry Pi related. And uh, he also says on that same thread, I saw your Pi Boy DMG review. Have you seen or used? Have you used or seen the GPI case from Retroflag? Yeah, so um, I really like kind of talking about this stuff, and I, I know I'm not an expert in any way uh, about this because I am like an outsider coming in, right? So I uh, I've been a Mac user since like 2003, you know, and so I'm I'm very familiar with how kind of how Mac works and stuff, and so in that sense, I feel like Linux is like you know, that that weird other brother, you know, of, of Mac and stuff. And so from that sense, you know, working within terminal and things like that, love it. You know, uh, I like that, but I do understand how other people don't like dealing with that kind of environment. And so something like Android, you know, you can just tap it and then you can open up things or whatever. Um, but there's an ugliness to Android, you know, the, the number of taps you have to do, the, the disparity like just between the user interface when it comes to the various apps and everything else like that. Um, you know, that's one of those things that is really kind of off-putting to me. I don't like that aesthetic feel, you know. Uh, whereas Linux, you get it running, you get it going well. Um, everything's just kind of like universally compatible. And so I do like that aspect of it. Um, when it comes to like a versus, you know, which one do I like better and whatnot? Uh, I do appreciate the optimizations that are in Android, but I 
generally like to have like the not necessarily pi based but the linux based operating systems you know things that i'm very used to now at this point with the rk3326 devices and whatnot i do like that you know but i do also appreciate that android can sometimes make those uh, emulators run better just because of the sheer volume of people involved in the working and the testing and the optimization of some of those emulators I haven't tried the GPI case um, personally. I've seen it, you know, uh, I think it's kind of cool. I'm kind of waiting for the next generation of CM4 related devices. I think I'm going to go all in with those as they'll start popping up um, and start, you know, doing reviews and maybe some tutorials and stuff on those. But I'm kind of waiting a little bit um, just to see what's going to come out in the next few months before I dive in. Yeah, isn't Experimental Pi coming out with a CM4 <clears throat> version of their Pi Boy? Yeah, I mean, they, there are leaked images that I think ETA Prime did a video on it and everything and stuff, but we haven't, I don't think we've seen anything official coming from Experimental Pi, but it's got to be coming. You know, it has to be. You know, when I did my Pi Boy DMG review, uh, one of the people from Experimental Pi was uh, kind of vocal in his comments during the video, because I was a little bit negative, to be honest, right? Um, and he did mention, he said, you're going to really love our next device. So they're working on something. Uh, you you should have been like you. Well, I'd better, for your sake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for your sake, I mean, it, I'd better love it. Yeah. At the end of the day, I love doing positive reviews. You know, I always like to look at the positives. But at the same time, you know, for me in particular, I was I was somewhat critical of that device because of the cost involved. You know, it was pretty expensive because you know they're dealing with putting an actual. Raspberry Pi inside of a case that's been modded and molded specifically for that uh, chip. And so for that reason, like they're just got a lot of work cut out for them. You know, they can't modify a PCB to fit specifically what they needed. And so because of that, I respect everything they did, but it just the practical use of it was not not as great as I was hoping it was going to be. I get it. I get it. But on the other hand, you also get more power. Yeah. You can do more. Like, if you wanted to go and play those N64 games or Dreamcast games, well, you could. More Dreamcast than N64, in my opinion, with the Pi 4B. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you could. Um, where I'm not getting that same sort of performance if uh, even on the on the Rock Chip uh, 3326's devices yep. on there, even though that I've seen some more improvements with uh, 351 Elec or you know, uh, other device, you know, other operating systems, mostly 351 ELEC. Uh, their latest, the, the, you know, when they did that, what was it back in May? Was it May that they did that? Um, you know, they kind of had that quote unquote, uh, reborn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that really improved a lot of things for me. It's much, it's much more responsive. Yeah, you know, one thing I like about them is they they wait to do their releases, you know, and so they'll they'll work on it for months and then they'll say, okay, here's the next one. I'll give it a name and everything. And so uh, I do like that because it kind of um, it does give you that full, fresh experience of like having a new upgrade and ArcOS, you know, they do incremental upgrades and I really appreciate it when they do that as well. Um, But it's not the same feeling when you're like rebooting it and you're like, oh, look at this. It's a brand new experience. And uh what about the retro arena on those devices? Have you played with that? Yeah. So um, there's, there's some negatives with the retro arena in the fact that like, you know, he doesn't have OTA updates yet uh, available for retro arena. So you're kind of reflashing uh, every time there are some ways, you know, I think a couple releases have had tar builds and stuff, but for the most part, you're ending up 
you start up from scratch often. And so um, in that sense, it's not quite that same integrated experience you can get with like Arc OS where you just literally push the Wi-Fi update button and then you've got a new update. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be nice if uh, we still got more new updates for the uh, 351p versions. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, true for Arc OS. Um, I was actually using Arc OS, but I noticed I've having some issues though, where sometimes I can't run the uh, in some of the emulators, I can't go and suddenly use the hotkeys to exit out to get into the RetroArch menus. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's always a little bit tweaking that has to happen with any of these operating systems, and yeah, yeah. I can definitely feel the 351p and 351m version of ArcOS. They're starting to age, you know, and um, we'll see how it looks, you know, six months from now. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, uh, they sound, it sounds like that uh, person working on that, uh, I think his name was Christian, right? Yep, Christian Haitian, yeah. Yeah, Christian Haitian uh, is said that they're kind of done with the 351p version so the p slash m version so it's focusing on the 351v so but um it's still nice to use um both it and emulex um i guess we'll go ahead and move on to the next question though unless yeah unless there's anything else you want to add no i think you got it all right so shampoo lord says is there any feasible ETA on handheld PS2 emulation? He says, that's my white whale for gaming. Uh, just let me play the sea of JRPGs released in the 2000s on the go. <laughs> yeah, um, it's coming. You know, uh, PS2 emulation in particular has just kind of been tricky on everything but the PC, you know. Um, if you've if you've seen the most recent Taki Udon video about PS2 emulation, he kind of talks in depth about like the two options you have on Android um, and just kind of some of the drama surrounding a lot of that, you know, the stolen code and everything else. Um, it's really unfortunate, you know, that there's just not one single good open source uh, emulation option available. I do think it's going to come from Android when it does come. It's just a matter of getting a developer who is interested and capable of of making uh an emulator that is optimized and uses the code in an open forum and so as soon as we see that i think that we will um start to see that on android based devices and hopefully it'll be within the next year uh especially with devices like the 199 or the odin which are going to be android based yeah uh and i agree you know i'm also starting to see you know I think we're starting to see more, uh, more use out of say I don't know the 3DS, uh, 3DS emulation, GameCube and such. You're starting to see that more, uh, more feasible on handheld. So, uh, PS2 is also the next step. Yeah. Um, yep, I definitely see it. So we're gonna go ahead and move back over to Little Forest, who asks uh, another question. Um, we seem to be at a bit of a performance plateau. PS1 decent to perfect, N64 bad to decent. With reasonably priced handhelds, sub $150, do you think we'll break out of this space soon, or will we be at this level of performance for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think this is uh, really similar to what we kind of already talked about, but I do. My prediction is that, you know, with the 552, the Retroid Pocket 3, the Odin, and then that KTR1 device. Those are going to be our breakthrough devices. Um, 
couple of them are probably not going to be as great as we're hoping, you know, but at the same time, I think if at least one of those four devices is really good and then sells like hotcakes, everyone else is going to jump into it too. And so uh, I think it's coming and I think we've been vocal enough about it on the American side, at least, or the Western side, I should say, that uh, I think we're going to see some some improvements here pretty soon. I have no idea what the Chinese market is, if they're really gunning for that as well, you know what I mean? Or if they're just just as happy to play the retro games. I'm not really sure. Um, and you got to remember, you know, we are like something I've been told this before and I don't have any data to back it up, but I've been told that we're just like five to 10% of the market space for some of these device makers. You know, we're, we're kind of an afterthought sometimes when it comes to development and things like that. Uh, it's the non-English speaking market. The Chinese market is where they're actually focusing a lot of their things. And so when they make a device and we're saying to ourselves, man, they didn't listen to us. It's because they're probably not. They're probably listening to their Chinese customers. So yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Well, I mean, they're building in China, you know, their Chinese hand, their Chinese emulator handheld devices. So yeah, they're probably going to build for China first. Just yeah. the fact they build us, build it for us at all, and that we have, you know, really good options, uh, says a lot. You know, Ambernick, for example. Okay, let's talk about Ambernick. Um, you know, they kind of started out with their 350s, uh, the 350 devices, I think, is where they were really put on the map. And mm-hmm. then they came with the 350M and then, you know, other devices on there, too. And I've started to see that they're really starting to become a real what more real brand and that they're reaching out more, I think, to Western. That's my opinion. Yep. Um, I can't back that up, but uh, I've just, you know, they have their own presence and they're starting to become pretty reputable. Yep. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, they um yeah, they they like hired on a guy to help with like their outreach and stuff like that. And so, yeah, they definitely are making the effort. And I think that's good. Yeah, and we actually have uh, some people reached out from uh Retro Console uh from the Re- Retro Console X. Have you seen those? Oh, like the Super Console X? Yeah, Super Console X. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, those are interesting. Yeah, they actually were reaching out and posting. Uh, they had some people there that were showing us uh, some of the stuff when they were making those and packing them out. Uh, they're reaching out to us on the on the subreddit, the SPC Gaming subreddit, which was really which was really interesting to see. I've yeah, not used one of those cool. devices, but uh, a lot of people have gotten them. Yeah, I've I've tested a few of them. They're all very similar to like. You know, they, they're using like S905X chips and stuff. They're fine. You know, they run Emulek and um, I think the Odroid devices are much better, you know, when it comes down to it. But these are very plug and play, you know, preloaded with games and everything's already set up. They've basically stolen SD card images from like a Brazilian, um, <laughs> uh, like a, a guy like who uh, Galisteo, I think is his name, who like he he makes these beautiful images. You know, it's kind of like arcade punks kind of things. And then they just steal them and they put them on their own SD cards and they ship them like that. And so uh, it's kind of a pain that they do that and kind of it's kind of crappy of them, honestly. But at the same time, that's 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 where they're appealing to that mass market. You know, it's like that uh, casual gamers, you know, we say, oh, I can just spend ninety dollars on this box it comes with these crappy controllers, but it's going to play every game I want. Then they're going to buy it and they're on Amazon. You know what I mean? So all those things come into play and all of a sudden uh those become like they're selling really really well like those review videos that i've done on the super console x and the super console x pro and stuff i didn't put a ton of effort into those i made them just like any other videos i've done but they are some of my most watched videos over time on youtube because Mm -hmm. so many people are googling this 
thing because they find it on Amazon or whatever it happens to be and they want to see a review of it and they stumble upon my videos and stuff. So there's definitely a market for those things. I agree. And, uh, you know, and, and it is sad that you see them that come with ROMs on there. And Game 4s did it right. Um, yeah. So one thing with the one thing with Amber and handhelds is that, yes, I like them. Um, I like the build quality on it, too. But they, uh, from my knowledge, uh, do not have uh, the greatest relationship with the developers of Emulek proper. Right. Yeah, because uh, they stole their code. The same, same thing, where they just grabbed their stuff, put it in a commercial commercial project, and then also loaded up with the illegal ROMs and then shipped it out like that. Yep, and that's how they usually come out with. Um, and here at SBC Gaming, uh, you know, one thing we will not do is link to illegal ROMs. Uh, and that's a, that is a hard stance that we have here. So you don't tell them where you got it or how to get them. Yeah. Um, you know, illegally, you know, there, there are plenty of, uh, opens, you know, ports, there are plenty of options to go and get the device, get the stuff that you want, but, um, you know, and even free options of legal stuff, but yeah, we're not going to tell you how to get it uh, illegally. So don't ask. Um, <laughs> the, um, so we're going to go ahead and, uh, move back a little bit to, um, to new some to some other people's questions. So, uh, Shampoo Lord asks. Uh, oh, sorry, no. Uh, Flatfoot, Flatfoot Fox asks. Uh, do you have any lessons learned or interesting insights from running a YouTube channel, YouTube channel and site for almost a year? Yeah. Um. I mean, I've learned so much. It's it's amazing, you know, just kind of how things have gone. I've mentioned several times already. I'm not an IT person by trade. Uh, I you know I work on computers, I work and stuff, but I don't like work on computers. You know what I mean? And so, uh, in that sense, I've learned a lot. You know, just when it comes to uh, just little things. You know, like how important things are are in terms of emulation when it comes to pixel scaling, aspect ratio, all those things that I really didn't really consider uh, when I first got started, but now I'm really, you know, starting to pay attention to and really starting to appreciate. But I'll tell you, the biggest thing I've learned in kind of this whole space from building a YouTube channel and site and stuff is that um, the community aspect is way more important than any of the other things, you know, in terms of the number of subscribers I have or, you know, whether or not I'm making money and stuff. All that is so secondary to me of the idea of being kind of this person involved in building up the community. And this is a this is a community where it's very easy to become cynical. You know, um, a really good example I can give you is, you know, you'll see a lot of people who get burnt out from just this scene in general. You know, uh, we saw someone take their life just a couple weeks ago based on just kind of some Internet drama and things like that within the retro art community. And so. Things like that are, are really kind of saddening and, and it happens, you know, I think it happens in any community. But then you see other developers and stuff. Uh, a really good example is the developer who goes by the name of Johnny on Flame. And he's the guy who first ported over the uh, Super Mario 64 port. Like he's the one that, that did all that work to to move it over onto the RK3326 devices. Uh, originally, he just did it actually for Open Dingux and for the RG350. 
And uh, he's been involved in the scene forever. This dude was part of the GCW Zero like development uh, initially. You know when that device came out, which is what the RG350 was eventually cloned from. Um, he's been around forever, and you see his name on all sorts of little things. Uh, but the thing about that guy is that he is so positive all the time, and he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff probably better than any of us, right? And uh, it's amazing to me how his outlook and positivity just kind of still resonate through everything. And so those one of the, that's one of the things that are inspiration to me is to say, hey, it's very easy to get cynical and be snarky and stuff on the Internet. And especially, you know, as I'm growing to be thought of as more of an authority figure, which I don't think is deserved. But, you know, it happens. Uh, I always try to keep that kind of relatability and uh, community mindedness going on. And that's like been my biggest lesson in doing this whole YouTube thing is that I'm here to build everybody else up along with me. It's not about me being anything special, uh, but rather just trying to get this stuff into as many hands as possible and have people have a fun experience with it because I think that's worth more than anything. That is a that is a great outlook. Uh, and that's just, that's great outlook uh, on a, on any aspect of life, to be honest. Um, yeah, what what happened? What happened with that developer? Developer near is it really is a tragedy, um, and you know cyberbullying on there just should not you know bullying in general should not be uh, allowed uh, like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean especially with what happened with with uh, near. Uh, yeah. And near uh, for anyone who might not be aware worked on the BSNES uh, emulator and did so much for SNES emulation. Um, you know, I didn't personally use the BSNES emulator. I'm just going to be honest. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, you know, the, what work that he did do that I'm finding out is um, in the back, in the background um, really helped improve SNES emulation and made it, uh, you know, pretty much perfect at this point. I mean, yeah. And uh, a lot of people say that, you know, the developers from RetroArch themselves said there would no would not be RetroArch at all if it wasn't for him, because he built a lot of that back end underlying systems that they ended up incorporating to make RetroArch in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I could think of when I got first into emulation, it was years ago, back in the 90s, you know, you had um you know, from Bloodlust Software, you had some uh, some of the um, clever DOS uh, versions of emulators uh, for NES and Genesis. They were called uh, Nesticle oh, and yeah. uh, Genesis. Uh, and I personally was a big fan of Genesis, and it worked great. But, I mean, you know, you'll get improvements over the years, you know, on different ones. You know, there was like a whole bunch of different uh, Genesis emulators. But you had Kega Fusion, you had... Uh, yeah gens um all those but um you know and then with snes you had z snes you had snes 9x which is what most people use when they're gonna go and uh you know which is the main core snes yeah. 9x um and just like yeah the, the just the development community and then getting all those working with retroarch though is great because retroarch great retroarch is great because you have you know their cores all the you know they'll emu they'll emulate your you know your games but they'll do that in so that it's a it's a uniform experience 
that's right. what's so great about Retroarch. But, you know, um, going back to that, though, what happened with Nier is a tragedy. And, uh, you know, I I think that we need to be more mindful of, uh, of uh, you know, speaking with these developers. Yeah, or I totally anyone, agree. Or actually anyone, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. Uh, Intellowasp asks, what features would you like to see in a perfect retro console? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I sp I've spent a lot of time with the PS Vita over the past six months or so. And that's, uh, you know, when it comes to form factor and just kind of overall quality, that that always wows me when I grab, especially the OLED one, you know, just in terms of the display and the size of the screen and stuff. So when it comes to features for a perfect console, uh, I think five inches is about right. You know, for me, at least, uh, I think anything bigger than that becomes a little bit cumbersome. Um, and then for me, you know, one of my big pet peeves is that a lot of these retro handheld consoles, the D pads and the buttons are just a little bit smaller than I think they need to be. And I don't know if it just came from like somebody starting that trend and then everyone's following suit, you know, but I would really like to see a console that has buttons that are the size of the original SNES buttons, you know, something like that, I think would actually be uh, really nice. And a lot of these cases do have the space for it. They just tend not to use them. So that's one thing I would really like to see is bigger buttons, a five inch uh, display. Touchscreen, I think, is also one of the things about the Vita that really kind of wows me uh, to be able to integrate that when you want to use it. Not, I don't like using games that require you to use a touchscreen, you know, like to me, that's a gimmick. But being able to tap through things or whatever uh, sometimes can be really helpful. And then, um, you know, analog stick placement is a thing for me, too. I don't like having them both on the bottom, like like with a PS4 controller or with the RG351P. I actually like the offset uh, analog sticks. A lot of that comes from, um, you know, having the Xbox 360 for several years. Uh, and even like the GameCube controller to me is kind of an offset uh, analog stick as well. And so uh, I like that kind of feel. Um, and then online connectivity, you know, five gigahertz Wi-Fi to be able to stream with. And then also integrating retro achievements and retro arc are also really important to me, too. This, I, I don't know. I'm I'm really easy to please, <laughs> you know. Uh, you get those things going. You throw in some Go GameCube emulation and maybe some PS2. Perfect. I'd love it. And you could go and see some of the people from Amber Nix, some um, from uh, Pow Kitty, and uh, all the and uh, they're just furiously writing down all these like hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, and stack shoulder buttons like the Retroid Pocket too. Yeah. Yeah, five That's gigahertz. Um. It, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually was not the biggest fan of the of the stick placement of the 350 uh, RG 350. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I guess that is a. I guess we found the spot where we kind of disagree. Where yeah. We have, See, it uh, didn't bother me at all. I I didn't mind it at all. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I could be friends with you now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually went, one of my first videos is that I took the screen from the RG350M and put it in the RG350 because I liked the analog stick placement better, and I actually prefer plastic devices over metal, but I wanted the 640 by 480 display, and so uh, that was one of my first mod videos, and I, I used a scalpel to, like, cut away some plastic, and I'm not kidding, like, within the first 10 seconds of holding the scalpel, I, like, cut myself, and so I had to, like... <laughs> cut that out of the the scene, you know, and then like the rest of the video, I have a band aid and, 
yeah, it was just embarrassing, but it was uh, a lot of fun, and I'm really happy with that um, altogether. Ha, uh, you cut yourself, and you had to cut it out of the video, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, boy, I'm right. so... That's a terrible pun. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> all right, so... And we'll leave it at that. Please tune in next week for part three of the Russ from Retro Game Core interview uh, slash Ask Me Anything. And with that, please make sure to like, please make sure to subscribe and leave a comment on Discord, Twitter, or uh, send an email. Uh, contact at spcgaming.net. And hope to go and hear from you guys soon.